Hello, my friends, and welcome to Worldwide Crime. I'm your host, Eric, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host. Why didn't you say my name? I was hoping you'd, like, jump in with it. I don't know, just something a little different, I guess. Say my name. Well, like I was saying, I wanted you to, you know, kind of take over by saying... Say my name, bitch. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Erica. Happy? Now that my dominance has been properly asserted, I feel content. Glad I could help. What are we covering today? We're going to cover the Dyatlov Pass incident. I'm vaguely familiar with that story, but I don't think there was a crime committed. Which would be dumb because this is a true crime podcast. Ah, yes. Well, depending on what theory you subscribe to, there could have been. Are there ghosts in this story? I'm not hanging around for that garbage. I make no mention of ghosts, I promise. Demons? No, well, I don't think so. Monsters? Okay, why don't we just get into the story, and then you could be the judge after it's over. Fine, but it better not be stupid. During the winter of 1959, an experienced group of 10 young hikers had plans to make their way to the Ural Mountains in Russia. This was a journey carved out for only the most experienced and fit hikers, as it's one of the deadliest treks on Earth. These young hikers were all grade 2. In Russia, this means that you have experience in all manner of trails, weather conditions, and are considered competent in varying degrees of trail difficulty. This trip, however, is so brutal it would give them all grade three status, which is Russia's most prestigious level for adventurers. So, is there a reason we're doing a story based in Russia? Um, no. Given current events, you don't think this will turn some people off? Why would it? What happens in this story has nothing to do with what Russia's up to, you know, today. Okay, just food for thought. I had this story on my schedule before the invasion. I didn't choose to do this story because of it. Okay. Okay. These ten hikers knew how hard the trip was going to be, and how rewarding its completion would be. They were all bringing cameras, video, and still frame, and they all planned to keep journals to detail the trip and prove its legitimacy. Our story begins at the Euro Polytechnic Institute. Our group of 10 adventurers are comprised of current and former students. They all decided they wanted to pursue their grade three certificate. This meant that they all agreed that no alcohol or drugs would be allowed on the trip due to its massive degree of difficulty. The trip was meant to conclude at the Gora Ora Mountain. The hikers spent the summer and winter of 1955 training hard to prepare for the journey. By January, the 10 hikers were properly trained and fit for the journey. Their trip was set to begin on the 25th of that month. The first part of the journey would land them in the village of Visay, where they would spend the night of the 26th. Here they would resupply and get proper rest before they continued. The next day would find our group reduced from 10 to 9. 21-year-old Yuri Yudin would sadly not be able to continue. Yuri suffered from various health problems throughout his life but the one that kept him from continuing this trip was severe joint pain. The rest of the group told Yuri that they would be back to Visay by February 12th. The morning of the 27th, the hikers began the rest of their journey. The group was led by Igor Dyatlov. So this is the part of the story where I introduce our hikers. All their names are in Russian, so I'm going to apologize in advance because I'm quite confident I butchered every single one of them. So I'm just putting it out there. Seriously. You want to keep talking about this? Really? Seems like you're, uh, stalling just to make the episode run longer. You are so very punchable. 
We all have our talents. He was accompanied by Yuri Doroshenko, Ludmila Dubinina, Georgi Krivonoshenko. He went by Yuri as well. Alexander Kolovatov, Zineda Kolmogorova, Rustem Slobodin, Nikolai Thibodeau Brignoles, and Semyon Zolotaryov. Igor was respected in the hiking community due to his experience and leadership. As the group made their way through what is now called the Dyatlov Pass, they were hit by severe weather and lost their bearing. Igor decided they should make camp and wait out the storm. By this time, they were approximately two kilometers from the trail they were supposed to be on. They set up camp by a mountain the local Massey tribe called Dead Mountain. The decision would be questioned, mostly because of its exposure and the slope on which they set up camp. Yudin is at home awaiting a telegram from the group informing him of their safe return. Igor had told Yudin that the trip should take approximately 16 days, but up to 19 depending on weather conditions and any other type of setback. Days past the deadline, Yudin decided to report the group missing. By the next week, search and rescue teams had set out to find the hikers. On February 26th, the hikers' tent was found. Do you think they knew they were setting up camp at the base of a place called Dead Mountain? I mean, they had to, right? There was likely no vacancy at Not Dead Mountain. Oh, she's got jokes. That was a stupid thing for me to say. I fear your relentless dad jokes are rubbing off on me. I'm slowly becoming a moron. Have you noticed that you hurl an insult at me like every other sentence? We've covered this before. I know. Just wanted to... Toss a little reminder your way. Thank you. Are you hoping that would change things? Maybe. It won't. And that's your fault. Uh, worth a shot. Not worth a shot. Whatever. Your response just now. It was riveting. Whatever. Upon closer inspection, it was discovered that the tent had been cut open from the inside. Judging by the cut pattern, it was discerned that whoever made the cut was acting under duress. Given the hiker's experience, it's hard to reason why one of them would have cut the tent open from the inside, especially considering it was nighttime and they were in the midst of a brutal storm. This was their only shelter. It made no sense to anyone with outdoors experience. Someone or something must have scared them so badly that cutting into their only shelter was a better option than facing whatever it was they were running from. What makes this more bizarre is the footprints found leading away from the tent weren't sporadic as you'd expect. They were uniformed, as though the hikers were being led by someone or something in a single file line. Following the footprints in the snow, it became clear that all of the hikers were dead. The rest of the story takes a dark and strange turn as the bodies start being discovered. A few members of the search party were combing a patch of trees a couple hundred yards from the tent. They noticed something brown in color sticking out of the snow at the base of a cedar tree. It wasn't a tree stump or bark. That was all over this area. This was different. As they got closer, they noticed the lower branches on the cedar tree were broken. It looked as though someone or something was trying to climb it. As they approached, remains of a fire were discovered. Next to the fire is where the first bodies were found. Doroshenko was the first to be inspected. He was found wearing a short sleeve t-shirt, swimming trunks, and socks with no shoes. Doroshenko had a large burn on the side of his head and his right foot. He had what appeared to be gray liquid coming from his mouth. He was covered in scratches, scrapes, and bruises. Doroshenko's ears, nose, and lips were covered in blood. Okay, let's take a sec to unpack this. 
It's dark, the middle of nowhere, freezing temperatures, and a storm is raging. What would cause someone to cut through their only shelter and calmly walk away wearing basically what I'm wearing right now, only to be found completely mangled? My best guess is some sort of psychological break. Fair guess. But how do you explain all the other hikers following suit? What are the chances of all nine hikers suffering from the same psychological break at the same time? I don't know, but what I do know is it wasn't caused by ghosts or any other supernatural bullshit you're undoubtedly buying into. Hey, I said there's no mention of ghosts in this. This is boring. Get back to the story. Some say the injuries could have been self-inflicted due to the pure agony of exposure to the high winds and 30 degree below temperatures. The gray fluid could be explained by a strong force hitting his chest. This could be explained by perhaps falling from the cedar tree. Doroshenko's official cause of death was hypothermia, and most of the other details of Doroshenko's condition were held out of the official report. Krivonoshenko's body was discovered next to Doroshenko under the cedar tree. Krivonoshenko was found wearing a long-sleeved t-shirt, underwear, and a single sock on one of his feet. His body was also covered in cuts and bruises. Krivonoshenko also had burns on his legs, feet, and hands. Inside his mouth, it was discovered that he had bitten off a knuckle from his hand. This may have happened when he was perhaps using pain to stay conscious, keep from crying, or was trying to warm the hand by breathing on it. It was later discovered that Doroshenko and Krivonoshenko were moved post-mortem. It's assumed that members of the group discovered them dead and placed their bodies together in an orderly fashion out of respect. The surviving group members then took their clothing and shed it amongst themselves for added warmth. Next to be found was the body of Igor Dyatlov. He was found laying on his back and his face pointing straight forward. Both his fists were tightly clenched. It appeared Dyatlov's body had also been maneuvered after death. He had bruises on his ankles, perhaps from being drugged by them. His body was covered in bruises and cuts, and he was missing an incisor. The missing tooth could have been caused by a fistfight anti-mortem. Igor Dyatlov's official cause of death was listed as hypothermia. Zineda Kolmogorova was next to be found and examined. She is one of the two women in the hiking group. She was found more appropriately dressed for the conditions than some of the others. However, one of the shirts she was wearing had parts of the sleeve torn away. She had abrasions on her face and bruising on her hands. There was a large narrow bruise on her side that ran half the length of her body. This could be explained by a strike from a large baton or a ski pole. She showed signs of a struggle, but her official cause of death was hypothermia. It's assumed that Igor and Zeneda were trying to make their way back to the tent based on where their bodies were discovered. Another week would go by before on March 5th, searchers discover the body of Rustin Slobodin. He was found laying face down and his body covered in snow. Both temples and Slobodan's head displayed internal bleeding, and there was a large fracture on the top of his head. It's unclear what caused the trauma to Slobodan's head, but experts suggest that he survived the wounds for up to an hour before passing away. He also showed signs of being moved after death, and his official cause of death was hypothermia. Months would go by without finding the remaining four hikers until a Massey tribal member discovered a man-made dugout. This was made in a last desperate effort by the remaining hikers to stay alive. Sadly, it wasn't enough. Ludmilla Dubanina was found with running water next to her. She was half hanging over a sloped edge. Her lips and soft tissue around her cheek were missing. 
exposing her upper jaw and cheekbone. She suffered 10 broken ribs, and there was evidence of hemorrhaging around her heart. Both of her eyes and eyelids were gone. Her tongue appeared to have been torn from her mouth and was nowhere to be found. Blood was found in her stomach indicating she suffered some or all of these injuries while still alive. Her official cause of death was hemorrhaging in the left atrium of her heart. What do you think the conversation sounded like as the search party started finding these corpses? Like, whoa, what do you think happened, comrade? And it looks like they were pushed from aircraft, hit every tree branch in the forest on the way down, and got munched on by wolves. You're wrong. It was quite clearly hypothermia, you idiot. <laughs> what the hell? I don't know, but finding those bodies must have been total nightmare fuel. Oh, without a doubt. It's just so much about this story that doesn't make any sense. It's frustrating, actually. It really is. Simeon Zolotaryov, the oldest of the group at 37 years of age, was found wearing three pairs of pants, a sweater, and a long winter coat. He was also wearing two hats, a scarf, socks, and winter boots. Semyon was dressed most appropriately out of all the hikers. This unfortunately didn't keep him alive. He suffered trauma to his chest and had five broken ribs. Tissue above his right eyebrow was missing, exposing his skull, and his eyes were also missing. Zolotaryov also had a massive gash on the back of his skull, and the wound showed signs of bleeding profusely. This points to some, or all of the wounds being sustained while still alive. His official cause of death was hypothermia. The trauma to Zolotaryov and Dubinina's chest were caused by such a force that it can be compared to a massive car accident. A force that's impossible to inflict by a human. Even a strong person with a heavy bludgeoning instrument like a sledgehammer couldn't have done this. With this explanation of injury, it is still not explained how these hikers were found in this condition with no bruising or abrasions on their chests. Alexander Kolvatov was discovered near the makeshift shelter. He was wearing pants, a light winter coat, socks, and shoes. His clothing had various rips and tears, and the jacket had burn marks. Alexander's eyebrows were also missing, exposing his skull, and his nose was badly broken. His neck was deformed in a way that indicated it had been severely broken. There was a large gash behind his right ear that had bled revealing that some or all of his wounds were inflicted while he was still alive. His official cause of death was listed as hypothermia. The autopsy reports were vague. They lacked information that would have answered questions that still persist to this day. Nikolai Thibodeau Brignoli's was the only other hiker that seemed to be dressed for the conditions. However, this wouldn't save him either. It's assumed that he and Zolotaryov may have been outside the tent when the incident began due to their being dressed properly. Brignoli's had bruising on his face and had signs of internal bleeding on his lower right forearm. The entirety of the left side of his head had been shattered. There was no soft tissue damage that coincided with the condition of his skull. It's assumed that he was alive, but perhaps unconscious when the injuries occurred. It's estimated that he lived approximately three hours before passing away. His official cause of death was listed as hypothermia. The last four victims were discovered wearing articles of clothing from other victims. On all of the articles of clothing, trace amounts of radiation were found. There is no natural way that radiation would have been in this area, let alone on victim clothing. When you examine the incident as a whole, none of this makes any sense. Over the years, theories have been offered. 
Some can explain parts of the incident, but not all parts of it. The radiation being the foremost question mark in the Dyatlov Pass incident. Let's go over some of the theories, and you can decide what to believe. Oh, this is going to be your favorite part. Which means I'm going to hate this part. Some of the theories are, uh, compelling. In other words, this is where we get to the supernatural horseshit that can't be proven. Great, can't wait. <laughs> You're gonna love it. One theory is that an avalanche was to blame. It can explain some of the injuries, but no evidence of an avalanche was present when the bodies were discovered and this does not explain the radiation. Another theory is a phenomena called paradoxical undressing. This happens when hypothermia begins to set in, causing the afflicted to believe they are burning up, thus tearing off all their clothing to cool off. But this has already been ruled out by surviving hikers removing the deceased's clothing, and it doesn't explain the severe trauma, the burns, or the radiation. Either of those seem like a winner to you? I'm going to hold off on saying what I think happened until the end. You already have a theory, don't you? I'm working on one. One that no one's heard yet? I doubt it, but it seems to make the most logical sense. I'm looking forward to hearing it. The theory that the local Massey tribe being responsible is one of the earliest. We've already covered that these grievous injuries could not have been caused by a human. Theory goes on to explain that due to the hikers veering off course during the storm, ended up on Massey land, and were killed as a result. There was a Massey altar discovered a few hundred yards from the incident's location, and this altar is common with Massey sacrificial rituals. There are holes in this theory, along with thousands of other theories that have come about since the incident happened. Pause. Sacrificial altar. I know. I should have clarified. I couldn't find what specifically they were sacrificing, but what I can tell you is it wasn't like a green inferno slash temple of doom type thing. I figured, but wanted to make sure. Yeah, that's on me. I feel like an insult would be appropriate here, but you admitted your mistake and didn't say anything stupid, so I'm at a miss here. Aww, I think we just had a breakthrough in our relationship. Why couldn't you just go to the story? Why did you have to get weird? It's like you're addicted to looking like an idiot. We just punched a hole in that barrier you surround yourself with. You have a gruff exterior. But I see all that love and squishy stuff inside. Ow! What the fuck was that? I shocked your fingers. I hope the jolt ah, fixed your brain, stupid. Damn it. That actually hurt. Now you know how I feel when you go off on these tangents. I'm going to get help, Vera. With very few theories carrying any kind of actual evidence, some have turned to the supernatural. Aliens causing the incident is one such theory and could go on to explain it all, even the radiation. There were even reports of floating orbs of light in the sky around the time of the incident. And blurry photos recovered from the hikers that took them show lights in the sky. Given what we know about aliens, which is nothing concrete, this would explain it all. A Yeti attack is another popular theory in the supernatural realm, much like the alien theory. If you look at what we know about Yeti, which is nothing other than it's a Bigfoot made for snow, could explain it all. Another popular theory is along the lines of conspiracy. There's a Russian military base within a few hundred miles of the incident's location. This theory could carry weight in that it was not long after World War II and Stalin's influence was still very present in Soviet Russia. The Soviets were not known for sharing information with anyone, and given that there is a military base in the vicinity, perhaps the hikers were killed by mistake in a training exercise or testing of some sort. This dovetails nicely with the official report explaining the incident. It reads as follows. 
It is concluded that the cause of their demise was an overwhelming force, which the Hygers were not able to overcome. That was the official statement. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I have aloe vera on all of my fingers. Even my thumbs. You had it coming. My keyboard looks like it's sweating. If you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. You're an abuser. What? You Amber heard me. Be very careful with your words. There's infinite Johnny depth to how much you're willing to hurt people, isn't there? You created me, dummy. Anything that happens is your doing. And the dad jokes don't help your case. That was a hurtful thing to say. Stop being a crybaby bitch. In 2019, scientists believe they have discovered a theory that is plausible and not stemming from the supernatural. It does require a string of coincidences that are of a low probability, but helps to explain what happened nonetheless. As the hikers dug in at the base of the mountain in an effort to get their tent as level as possible, they unknowingly opened themselves up for a devastating natural event called the slab avalanche. This is explained on a basic level as a chunk of frozen ground breaking and sliding down the mountain as a slab of ice, hence its moniker. But what caused this to happen? It was 30 degrees below zero at the time and the slope was not steep. This could possibly be explained by a Carmen Vortex Street. This is a low-flying wind that can reach hurricane speeds, making a horrifying sound. Scientists believe that this wind could cause snow accumulation on the slope above their tent. And when the load became critical, frozen blocks of ice smashed down upon the hikers while inside their tent. The wind sound could have explained the cutting open of the tent due to fear and panic. No matter what is true, what we do know is the Soviet government didn't do much to hide that they were keeping details close to the vest. Perhaps the Russian government knows exactly what happened and they were choosing not to share. This is one of the greatest mysteries in history and will likely remain as such. Okay, your theory. Let's hear it. Some of the hikers were involved in the cleanup of the Kishtime disaster, and as a result they have trace amounts of radiation that continuously contaminates their clothing. The slab avalanche caused by the Carmen Vortex Street explain the injuries. The cutting open of the tent was likely the only way out of it after the avalanche. This would also explain why the footprints looked organized. They were sticking together while looking for shelter. The two hikers that were found dressed appropriately were outside when it happened. Anything I'm missing? Um, I want so badly for it to be a Yeti attack. Of course you do. Why not aliens? Aliens would be cool, but a Yeti is cooler to me. Why not a Yeti from outer space? Like the Yeti is an alien? Sure. Well, that's absurd. That's absurd. Yeah, everyone knows Yeti can't fly spaceships. So an alien or Yeti attack individually are quote-unquote cool and believable. But an alien Yeti is absurd. Yeah, it's dumb. There have been primates in space from Earth. Yeah, I know. But a Yeti from space is dumb. Super dumb. I'm done talking about this. And that concludes today's story. Your thoughts overall? It went about how I expected. Well, thank you, I think. Come check out our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Worldwide Crime Podcast. Tell your friends about us. We're on any platform they prefer to listen to us on. Leave a five-star review. It helps us a great deal. Give us story suggestions. If we use one of your suggestions, we'll give you a shout out in the episode. If you could take the time to write a review, that will help us improve. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care. My fingers are going to take forever to heal, by the way. And the day-to-day -day stuff is going to be really difficult for a while. Shut up and stop whining.